0: This is a Centre for Stories podcast. I'm Claudia from the team here at the Centre for Stories, and I'm excited to introduce you to our story this week. Before we get into it, I wanted to share with you one of our upcoming events. On July 25th, our monthly dinner and storytelling event, Bread and Butter, will feature local artist and community builder, Lucy Aboyagi. Having worked with at-risk youth for a number of years, Lucy began to see the power of creativity, community and conversation in creating connections with her students and others. On the menu for this evening will be home-cooked Ghanaian food. Tickets for this event are available via our website. You will also find the details in the information section for this podcast. We hope to see you there. Today's story is part of our Roaring 90s series, a collection of stories from our community elders collected throughout 2018. This collection of stories features the memories of yesteryear, accounts of war, racism, technological triumph, assimilation and social change. Vern Gooch is not quite 90, but his story was so special that we thought we'd make an exception. He was 86 when this story was recorded. Verne is a survivor of the Holocaust, having fled Germany in 1938 with his immediate family to seek refuge in Australia. Here, he shares his memories of Germany before he left and what it was like growing up in Australia.
1: My name is Vernon Leslie Gooch, but I was born Werner Ludwig Gottschalk. I'm 86 years old and I was born in Weissenfels in Germany. I came to Australia in 1938 uh, as a six-year-old um, and why? Because we're Jewish. That might be enough of an explanation. And my father had already been thrown in jail for telling a joke about Hitler and Goebbels. Okay. So he thought it was about time to get out if he could. And my father told a joke that we'd got him thrown in jail in 1936 already. In the long run, he said it was the best joke he ever told because it got him out of the country. It doesn't translate into English and it wasn't dirty or rude or anything. My father was um, in his family's department store. He had charge of the whole first floor, which was ladies wear and fashion stuff generally. He told this rather tame joke to one of his customers, She went home and told her husband because she thought it was very funny. He went to a lodge party meeting that night, told it to all his mates and within 24 hours my father was in jail. So, as I say, the best joke he ever told. My father had an uncle who came to Australia in 1888 on a sailing ship uh, and he made the permit for us to come. And there was my mother and father and myself and my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, because she was the sister of the uncle that was here. That's how he it was an uncle. And um, that's the reason why we came to Australia. My mother actually converted from Luther, being a Lutheran to Judaism officially to... Um, Marry my father, and left all her family behind—sister and cousins and nephews—and but they were Catholics or Lutherans, so they all survived the war. But on my father's side, as I say, they had a quite a large department store of the family, and uh, a lot of them got as far as Holland. But then the war caught up to them and they all perished in the concentration camps. They got a pretty good hint that things were happening because this store was already Aryanised, as they call it, in 1936 when it was taken over or taken away from the family and somebody, some other family took it over and changed the name on it. It was run by the Nazis.
2: We asked Vern whether his family was compensated for the department store.
1: Nope. And it wasn't a small place either. I mean, they employed 150 people. So it was quite a large store.
2: Vern's family was living contently in Germany until things changed rather dramatically.
1: We had a permit to leave Germany. Actually, they said if you don't get out in six months, you ain't going but you can't take any money with you. But there was nothing to stop us taking what these days you would call a shipping container, but it was a huge pine box size of a small container. So the family bought a complete dining room suite, bedroom suite, washing machines, bought 24 pairs of shoes for me in different sizes because they didn't know what they were coming to and other things that well they could sell for instance well my uncle in Germany my mother's sister's husband he was an optician and had an optical shop and he'd done all his training at Karl Zeiss which is the famous lens and camera people so we bought three Leica cameras with us to sell if necessary. And uh, we were allowed, well, there were four of us, and in Australian currency we were allowed to take the equivalent of 25 pounds each. So we arrived here with 100 pounds and a or a big box, all of all sorts of stuff.
2: We asked Vern how his family coped with the move to Australia.
1: My mother got a job pretty much straight away with a firm called Goodurrant and Murray. They were in William Street in Perth because she was, and had a big certificate, that she hung up a master milliner. And they'd done all the right training and even she and her sister had had a millinery shop. So she got a job as a milliner and my father had enough forethought that he'd bought a couple of agencies with him that he was, you know, to sell. One of them was from a Sydney firm of dress fabric importers because that's all he'd handled all his life was silk and satin and all that. We arrived here on the 17th of July, 1938, but my mother was too good. She knew too much. Uh, the woman in charge of the workroom at Godarrant and Murray, um, what, what, the English expression I think would be would white anted her to, to the bosses. And so they'd, in the meantime, made friends with a Jewish guy here at a quite a big frock factory. And uh, he said, Well, why don't you open it on your own? He said, My father said, Look, I've got £100. Pounds. Um, an old mother and a kid, he said, oh, I'll get your credit. There's no problem to get supplies. So exactly a year to the day, they opened their own little millinery workroom, my mother and, a, and a, a girl sitting stitching. Well, the first day I went to school, I was in trouble. I couldn't speak English. And it got to morning, I went to school at Forest Park Primary School, which is in Lord Street, down there, which is now a technical college. And it came to playtime and I was dying to go to the toilet. But I didn't know how to ask to go to the toilet. So I'm standing in the playground on my own, writhing, And the little girl noticed and must have taken pity on me because she worked out what it was. She just took my hand and took me to a toilet, which was magnificent. The only thing, I was halfway through my business and the deputy principal at FEMA You filthy little boy, what are you doing in the girls' toilets? End of story.
2: We asked Vern to talk about his experiences of being a Jewish boy in Western Australia and whether he experienced anti-Semitism.
1: I only went to school there for a couple of years. And then my parents thought the Japanese had come into the war and they might be coming to Perth because they were already bombing Darwin. And so they thought, well, it's better to get me out of town in case the bombers come, or things like that. So I was evacuated to the country. And that is another story. As a good little Jewish boy, I went to St Ildefonsus College. Do you know where St Ildefonsus College is? New Norcia, where they sent all the bad Catholic kids and I did strike a bit of anti-Semitism there that I remember from one of the brothers. As a ritual, this is the age of nine by now. Uh, as a ritual, every Friday night he got his big black leather belt out and he beat the shit out of me. And I'll pardon the word shit, but it was shit. Uh, and saying, "I'll teach you to be the uh, the right religion." Whack, whack, whack made an impression. Mm. But again, at that school, I was one of only four Jewish kids there. I had another incident, no, two incidents there. On the first day of my schooling there and my last day. Well, on the first day I arrived there and in March, week before my birthday, but school had already been going for a month, so I was taken into the headmaster's study. He was a very nice fellow, Brother Ethelred. He took me into his study and sat me down and welcomed me to the school, said all the right things. And he said, now I need some details from you. And he said, what's your name? And I said, Gottschalk or Gottschalk, as they said, here." yes. And what are your Christian names? And he said, and this little nine-year-old jumped up on this big padded chair he was sitting and said, I haven't got any Christian names, I'm Jewish. So that was my (laughs) introduction there. But by then I could speak English to the extent that I even went a spelling bee standing in front of the class. But again, my urinary tract came to play. I was standing there on a Saturday morning and I was dying and I wasn't going to give in as they were dropping off on this spelling bee so I eventually spelt the last word to win it and let go and I wet my pants in front of the whole class. One of the monks at the monastery he was into Jewish history and what have you and he had a lot of Hebrew texts and I'd gone to the Hebrew school here which is Sunday school the and I could read Hebrew, but I had didn't have the faintest idea of what it meant. But he got me over to the monastery and asked me to read these texts to him because he could speak the language, but he couldn't read it. So I got good food every now and again. But the great privilege out of that was in the chapel there they had a Well, a world famous organ and in exchange for doing all this reading for him he let me play the organ because I was taking piano lessons at the time.
2: Verne explained that he anglicised his name when he was married. Before then, foreigners were unable to change their name during the war. We asked him whether he was the subject of any suspicion because he was German.
1: It all started back in 1938 when my parents... We were living in this Hut Street place and they worked six days a week and on Sunday it was time to do the washing and all this sort of stuff. My father's sitting there in a pair of shorts and a signet and this big black car pulled up out the door and two guys in suits, hats, big heavy boots got out. Kurt Gottschalk? Yes. Come with us. Police. And this is 1938. They dragged him off to Beaufort Street to the police station and he was taken into a room there and there was something and the guy in charge said to him, I've been talking to the rabbi about you. You apparently are quite an intelligent man and you speak English. And um, We've got a lot of German miners working in Kalgoorlie We think something's going to happen in Germany very shortly. These miners are all writing letters home all the time and we want to know what's in the letters. Would you be an interpreter for us? We'll pay you sixpence a page. All my father could think of sixpence a page means a packet of ten turf cigarettes. He said, yes, I'll do that. So he got the bundle of letters and translated them, you know, and it was all, oh, darling, I miss you so much and I wish I was there. And anyway, so that went on and a year later, war was declared. 3rd of September 1939 was a Sunday. It was Father's Day. And again, my parents had been doing the washing. They were sitting out the front, again, having a cup of coffee. And the black Mariah pulled up outside their house. And two policemen got out. Just Kurt Gostrock, yes, just grabbed him, singlet and Chapman in the back. And there were already about six German Jews, Czechoslovakian, the, the you know, suspect-type people, and took them off to Fremantle Jail. And they got pretty badly treated when they first got there. They stripped all the clothes off them. They hosed them down and then stood them up against the wall and said, now, don't turn around till you're told. And there's these six or eight guys there, And as my father told it later, he said, we could hear voices in the background. It was quite a large, long room, but we were told not to turn around and we weren't going to turn around. And eventually they said, turn around. and I turned around and there was a sort of a card table at the other end of this long hall. There was a guy sitting there and he looked up and he said, chalk, what the... F-? <laughs> what are you doing up there? I sent for you three hours ago. I need an interpreter.
2: Verne's father would continue to work for ASIO and serve Australia as a land sergeant. His mother continued working on the family business. Both were strong contributors to the Jewish community in Perth. During this time, Verne finished his schooling and then continued to university.
1: Went to UWA to study optometry, which was... A course run at UWA, but it was run by the Optometrical Registration Board and you spent uh, the first... It was a four-year course and you finished up with a Bachelor of Science degree. But it was part-time because you had to do the first two years, 800 hours a year, the last two, 1,000 hours a year of sort of apprenticeship and the other part, of the course was at UWA in Crawley and uh, the first two years was actually learning and doing and making, grinding the lenses and fitting them into the spectacles and in those days it was very fashionable rimless glasses where they used to diamond drill little holes in them and so I spent those two years working for the Australian Optical Company, which, as luck would have it, was directly across the road from my parents' millinery workroom on the first floor of Murray Street next to Bowen's, they could look out their window and see into our laboratory where the guys are grinding lenses by hand. And then I spent my final two years with Ben Sankin, the Sankin brothers had two optical places but then I couldn't get a job because the national health scheme was starting in England and all the opticians from over there with their 10 years training and they were coming to Australia because they wanted to get away from the the nationalized scheme and of course their british qualifications were recognised here and so I went to work in the motor business for international harvesters and trucks. And they sent me off to a country town just north of New Norcia where I'd gone to school. You've heard of Mora And I got sent to their agent up there. And um, I'll cut a long story short, I suppose. To get ahead, I married the boss's daughter. (laughs) (laughs) To add insult to injury, having gone to Catholic school and Methodist schools, she was a Church of England Sunday school teacher.
2: We asked Vern how his marriage led to changing his name and whether his new wife converted to Judaism.
1: No. Well, I mean, I was a liberal Jewish... that's when I changed the name. We, we talked about this before we got married. And we said, yeah, you know, we're going to have kids and what have you, and now the war's over and you can do it. So we did a five shilling do-it-yourself fill in the forms and they just got stamped by some clerk behind the counter. And that's how I became Vernon Leslie Gooch.
2: Vern has had a good life in Perth, but that didn't stop him from returning to visit his hometown.
1: Several times. But the first two times I went back and it was East Germany, Russians and Communists. And, and then the last time was and 2015, where it was all Western and it was all clean and nice. And, for instance, the business changed hands again or got a different name. But the interesting thing about the main street where that's on the corner of is now a pedestrian mall. But when my father was there, the main street was called Jew Street, and literally, you know, Judenstrasse. Mm. And so when the Nazis came in and anglicised the, the German businesses, And the street was called Adolf Hitler Street. Then the Russians came in and it goes to Joseph Stalin Street. And now it's changed back to Jew Street. So what goes around comes around, isn't it?
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this story, please rate, review and subscribe to our podcast. If you would like to listen to more stories, check out our upcoming events, subscribe to our mailing list, or find out more about what we do, head to www.centerforstories.com.